Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. Could the way you breathe be hurting not only your health, but even your performance? I mean, do you know, do you breathe in then out or you do breathe out then in? Whichever one you do could make a difference. Kidding, that has nothing to do with it, but you're going to find out more on this episode of the Movement Movement, the <laughs> podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, typically starting with the feet first because those things are your foundation. But now we're going to get into your lungs, which are in a way also your foundation without your lungs working. Feet don't really matter too much. So this is the podcast for people who want to know what it takes to run, to walk, to hike, to do yoga, CrossFit, you name it, enjoyably, healthily, efficiently. And uh, if you're already part of what we're doing, thanks for being here. If you don't know what we're doing, we're creating a movement movement. We're trying to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice, the way natural food is. And we call it a movement movement because, well, the first part is about movement. The second part is that it's about you creating this movement. So if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. Go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes, to find out all the different places that you can engage with this on YouTube and Facebook and Spotify and, uh, the, and iTunes and everywhere that you get your podcasts. You know how to do that. And leave reviews and tell your friends and hit the bell on YouTube so you find out about new episodes. You know how to do all this stuff. I don't need to tell you. This is kind of part two on breathing, but this one's going to be a whole different game. And so let me introduce our guest for today, or actually I'm going to ask Arthur, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself so it sounds less boring than if I tried to just read some of your resume. Okay. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, I, I'm a briefing teacher, trainer, and author of 10 books on Amazon. So, and uh, I have been teaching briefing, retraining, and the Bottega method for about 20 years now. And more importantly, you have a website. You may as well tell people where that is right now before we forget. Uh, normalbriefing.com. So what we teach here actually in order to be healthy and actually I know from by now that we can solve virtually any health problem, even the most difficult ones, if a person is able to retrain their breath and all we need to achieve is just to achieve like the medical norm for breathing. Very simple. So this is, this is an interesting idea. So it's uh, normalbreathing.org. And I think that the idea of normal breathing is intriguing. So why don't we start with the simple thing? What are you f- see people doing with their breathing that is not, quote, normal? And then we'll talk about normal and what they can do about that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, excellent, uh, of course, common question. What, what I mean by norm, there is a medical norm that was established about 100 years ago. And since then, uh, you can find it in many medical textbooks. Although I can say that during the last probably two, three decades, uh, some medical textbooks started to kind of change this norm in a way that to adjust it to modern population. Why I'm saying that? Well, because the norm that was established hundreds years ago, let's say we can talk about only one parameter right now, such as minute ventilation. So how much, how many liters of air we require in one minute, and this is for a 70-kilogram person at rest sitting. So that would be a kind of the standard situation. And the norm that was established about 100 years ago, uh, when respiratory science started, first textbooks appeared, was six liters per minute. Six liters per minute for a 150, 155-pound individual just sitting at rest. Yeah. And, and they're measuring that with a respirometer or some other device? Or? Well, they use some devices you need to collect, for example, expiry. We try to develop now techniques when we do it without, without invasion, uh, non-invasive techniques as well. But I, I don't know yet if it's like, it may appear quite soon because technology is progressing fast. 
But going back to your question, actually, I did not finish another part. So we have a medical norm, six liters per minute. And that means that this number was common 100 years ago just for ordinary people. And there are indeed a lot of studies I found even done as early maybe as HT90s, HT80s, so very, very long time ago. But if we look at modern people, what we we know by now is that typical average number for a a current person, for a contemporary person, is about 12 liters a minute. So yeah. What? So before I ask you the question, what changed? I need to back up and do something I should have done at the beginning and say two things. First, I just want to comment that the reason that we even got together for this conversation is because someone who listened to the podcast suggested that we chat. So I'm just saying that just as a plug for anyone who's listening or watching. If there's anyone you think should be part of the Movement Movement podcast, drop me a note at move at jointhemovementmovement.com. Secondly, just for people who haven't put two and two together, clearly from your accent, you're from, I'm guessing, Alabama? Or, uh... <laughs> no, from my second name, Rahimov. Rahimov. So I grew up in Russia, in Soviet Union, and I studied in the Moscow State University. So I came to Canada, now it's uh, 20, old, 25 and a half years ago. Got it. And yes, I can hear that Canadian I'm, accent coming can... through. So. <laughs> <laughs> just, just say a, just say, just say a with a Russian accent. That'll make make the difference. All right. So backing up to twice as many liters per minute for a normal person now. What? Why? What changed that quote normal is now twelve <laughs> liters per minute? Uh, well, it's a, it's a very large and very long question, of course, because generally, of course, uh, lifestyle factors we changed a lot. Mm. And uh, we can compare, we can kind of approach this very important question. I've heard it uh, hundreds of times, probably from students and during lectures talks. People ask, yeah, why indeed we now brief about hundred twice more than hundred years ago? So we can consider this question like from two viewpoints. We can consider why modern people brief much more, and for many people that there are many lifestyle factors. List I can list maybe seven. Yeah, seven, ten different factors, such factors as, for example, modern people, they have tendency to sleep on the back a lot. Very unhealthy factor. There are plenty of medical research, up to probably 26, 27 studies. Actually, any study which I found, and I found around 26, 27 of them, which compare a different sleep position, like horizontal positions, of course, I'm talking about now. We all found that supine sleep was the worst sleep position in terms of producing negative health effects, like for asthma, heart disease, diabetes, bruxism, snoring, sleep apnea, you name it. Whatever conditions we tested, yeah, all all studies found. I mean, I can imagine why sleeping on your back would be problematic for snoring or for sleep apnea, but for things like asthma, what's the mechanism that's causing these problems? (laughs) Well, basically what happens when we sleep on on our back, uh, our breath is not restricted. So we can breathe more because okay. once you sleep on the chest, left or right side, you kind of suppress your breath. So you are not okay. able to breathe as heavily. And this is exactly what you would see in hospitals. If you go to hospitals, you go through the wards, you know, in a hospital, you'll see that sick people, like 99% of them will be sleeping on the back. And healthy people, it's true. And in the past, of course, it was extremely uncommon for people to sleep on the back. But that's only one of the factors. That's kind of, I started with this one because... When I start to work with students, like this is what I start to talk to them first about sleep, because sleep factors were extremely influential. We spent like an average seven and a half, eight hours in, in, during, uh, for sleep. Uh, this is how much we spent. And therefore, you can imagine that the effects of sleep is actually very strong. And when people don't know how to sleep well, and like 
we kind of lose a, a lot of fruits, not only sleeping, barefoot walking would be one of them, of course, yeah. and eating and uh, level of physical exercise. Sleeping on the back, mouth breathing, extremely common for modern people, especially during sleep. And if, if a person wakes up and feels that mouth is dry, that's very, very strong indication that they actually were mouth breathing during sleep. Yeah. Well, so backing up, so what is it about breathing more, getting more liters per minute of worth of airflow that causes problems from your perspective? Yeah, that's another very important question. Uh, doctors call it hyperventilation. And uh, I spoke with, again, like thousands of people, and I know from my experience, and I was an, an example myself, that let's say like 20 years ago when I started all this research and kind of uh, looking into the topic, I also thought the more you breathe, the more oxygen you get. Mm. And you can here take a deep breath, assuming that you are you're supposed to get more oxygen when you take a deeper breath. So in medicine, they call it hyperventilation, and there are hundreds and hundreds of studies dating as back as 150 years ago, which proved and showed that the more you breathe, the less oxygen you get in a state of rest or sitting or lying or when you kind of, without doing any physical activity. It's so funny you say this. I was thinking about this last night, completely independent of uh, our pending conversation that when people talk about breathing and getting more oxygen, I love to point out that, well, 80% of what you're breathing is nitrogen, and then oxygen is a small piece of that, so you're not going to be getting a whole lot more. But, but I mean, typically when I think of hyperventilation, it's literally breathing so quickly that you're increasing carbon dioxide in the body and you're becoming hypoxic. I mean, so at a certain level, you're definitely having less oxygen because you're blowing off more carbon dioxide, which sets off a whole metabolic chain of events. But for just, you know, going from say, I'm going to make up a number from, you know, X number of breaths per minute to 2X, that doesn't necessarily move you into that same hyperventilated state where carbon dioxide is, a, you know, you're just basically blowing off carbon dioxide like crazy when you do that. So is there a line where, you know, where a little bit more is okay, then you're going over that threshold where suddenly you're blowing off CO2? <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was at some point going to point out that uh, we need to talk about that chart behind you. <laughs> so people actually can kill themselves, and these experiments were done also like 140, 150 Wait, years you know, ago. Hold on, I got, I got to pause right there. So I, <laughs> this is going to sound totally creepy to many, many people. So let me preface this by saying I don't have any issues about death and dying. When people have a terminal illness, I'm not someone who goes, oh my God, I'm typically someone who says, wow, this could be very exciting. I actually had someone, I had a conversation, bumped into a, an old friend. I said, how are you doing? She goes, she kind of pulls me aside. This is in a, in a it, Whole Foods. She pulls me aside. She goes, well, I, I have ovarian cancer. It's stage four. And literally the first thing out of my mouth was, wow, that must be very exciting. And then she looks around somewhat conspiratorially and she goes, actually it is because I'm only doing things that I like. I'm only hanging out with people who support me. It's really been an amazing time. Now, that's the preface for this weird statement. I have a video of my father 12 hours before he died. He had coded. They paddled him back. He really wasn't doing very well. And that last 12 hours, I, when I went in to see him 12 hours before he died, actually, wait, I take it back. I took this video just a couple hours before he died. He's lying on his back and he's breathing totally into his chest at about 20 breaths per minute. And I turned to a nurse and I said, if he keeps doing this, he's going to be dead within a couple hours. And he was. So anyway, so yes, back to your chart. I had to interject with my uh, personal experience this, of that. 
This is actually how Dr. Buteyka started his journey on, in terms of exploration of breath. And his first discovery was actually when people die, they die because of hyperventilation. And actually oh. nurses and, and uh, other doctors in the hospital where he walked because he was practicing students just before like getting his medical license, like after five years of study, three years like of extras like study, he got some PhD research and so on. But uh, when he was already like kind of uh, re almost ready to go doctor, he was um, kind of <laughs> described by nurses and other doctors as a kind of shaman or like voodoo doctor who could predict how soon are people going to die just because he observed their breath. Right. He realized that with approaching death, people breathe more and more. And right. this is how often they show actually in movies. If you watch old movies, like there are relatives around and <laughs> at last breath and they pass out. And this is true. I found several medical studies as well on yeah. cancer. Cancer, metastatic cancer, people die from cancer, people from dying from HIV, from cystic fibrosis. And in cancer studies, we actually have studies where we show exactly the same parameters which are predicted by the Bottega table of health, where we say that cancer patients have very high chances to die if their respiratory frequency is more than 30. So this is RF respiratory frequency. Right. If pulse, pulse gets higher and higher, more than 100. Right. And the breath holding time becomes five seconds or less. So it's yeah, very, very short. My father wasn't holding his breath at all. It's just in out. I mean, it's like super fast. Uh, absolutely. And this is, looks like total paradox, but this is exactly true that if somebody breathes heavier and you ask them to hold breath, and in a way you can assume that it probably would relate to how much oxygen we have. Mm. So if we are not able to hold breath, like if it's five seconds or less, that means we have like critically low level of oxygen, and this is what again many studies show that severely sick people, heart disease, HIV, cancer, diabetes, you name it, asthma. So backing up a little bit, so it looks like looking at that chart, there is a place where a certain amount of additional breathing is not problematic, but then you go over into what we mo most likely think of as hyperventilation, where you're blowing off so much CO2 that it's the thing that's causing a problem. It's it's a stepwise process. So the medical norm, if we look at this table, would be exactly on this health level five. So this I is see. health level five. And so the respiratory frequency medical norm, 12, 12 breaths a minute. Wow. This is what medical textbooks would they say. They really think that, wow, they think that, that a full breath in five seconds is normal? You know, in, in five seconds, yeah. Wow, that seems ridiculous. Uh, well, it, it was again common 100 years ago, so we can do whatever we like, but you are right, uh, ordinary people these days would have about 15 h teams. so we would be somewhere here, and the, the four-day breath holding time would be about twice less, about 20 seconds. People breathe more air, with how we do it, they breathe more frequently, and they also take a little bit more air for one breath, so instead mm -hmm. of normal 500 milliliters, so half liter, let's say, a medical norm, like, well, you can imagine, uh, like, kind of small bottle, plastic bottle, they take about eight, 900 milliliters, so about 50% more. So I'm imagining that people right now might be thinking, all right, how do I, before we get into what we would need to do to affect this, people might be wondering two things. One, how do I determine where I am? And it seems like the simple version is just sit down, rest. And this is a very hard thing to do is to try and count your breaths without altering how you're breathing. So you might, you might, want, to ha you might want to have a partner just, you know, watch you while you're yeah. not paying attention. That's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, exactly. Once people start to count beyond breathing, they often can get numbers about, as, uh, let's say, twice less than the real yeah. respiratory frequency. 
or breathing rate. But what Dr. Buteka found, and I believe this is absolutely true, there is a simple, we call it body oxygen test or control post test, which is you see, highlighted here in gray, which actually gives uh, more accurate results in comparison with respiratory frequency because some people may breathe a little bit faster, you know, right. but they have smaller volume uh-huh. for, for breath. And some people may breathe maybe less frequently. Right. And we have bigger volumes. So we would end up with the similar amount of carbon dioxide. So physiologically, we would be similar from the just CO2 viewpoint. Got it. And so, but, sorry, so, what's that, so what's that column talking about then? Uh, the control post, we also call it the body oxygen test or body oxygen measurement, allows us to evaluate uh, very easily anytime virtually for virtually, like I would say, could say probably 97, 99% of people would not get any problems because this test is done without any stress. So what you do, sit down, rest for five minutes, calm down, your heart rate would calm down, so your breathing would become regular. I'm relaxing okay. now, okay. <laughs> now you exhale, ordinary exhalation, or just ordinary exhale, pinch the nose and count how many seconds you can hold your breath without stress. So if you start... After, you after exhaling. After exhalation, yeah. This is hard test because you need to have ordinary usual exhalation. That means about 2 to 2.2 liters of air left in the lungs. Of course, lungs are never empty. And then you count stress-free. Stress-free means you do it without stress. As soon as stress appears, release the nose and watch how you breathe after the test. Because if you overdo the test, you will take deeper breath. Right. So you would, you would notice if you like two, three, five seconds long. Because once stress appears, it starts to grow. Right. More, more, more stress, you can push yourself twice. Most people can do it twice longer. But we don't want it. We want to have totally stress-free tests. And this number, actually, if we look again at many, many medical studies, uh, we would tell you that 100 years ago, it was common to have about 40 up to 50 seconds. There are many studies published, 40, 50 seconds. Now, mm-hmm. these days, I've I done this test probably with thousands of people, uh, lectures and so on, and students as well. If you are relatively healthy people, it's around 20, 25, really 30, 35, like maybe free divers, some like other kind of really healthy people. But for sick people, it's virtually always below 20 seconds. So it's less than 20 seconds. Interesting. Asthma, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, any lifestyle disease. So to be clear, so first of all, some people are listening to this and not watching. So there's a chart that I should have described this. There's a chart that you're standing in front of. That's the Viteco. Wait, what does it say behind Viteco test for health zones? Uh, table we'll of health zones. So there's a number of things on this on this chart that start with super health at the top, then a normal health, and then disease health. And one of the things that we talked about was the number of breaths per minute. If you're super healthy, it's a lower number. If you're diseased, your pulse is lower than if you're super healthy than if you're diseased. The amount of CO2 that you're that you have is uh, higher actually than if you're diseased because if you're diseased, you're hyperventilating, hyperventilating and blowing off CO2. And what we were just talking about is this body oxygen level, which at the top starts at 180 seconds, three minutes, and goes all the way down to five <laughs> seconds, five seconds being diseased, 180 being super healthy. But what you're describing now is you're saying that norm, and what it's showing for normal is about a 60 seconds. So you're relaxed, you breathe out comfortably, you hold your nose <clears throat> and see how long you can comfortably hold your non-breath, if you will. Um, and it says 60 seconds. But what you're saying is that you're seeing healthy people now are in the 20 to 30 second range. About 20, 25, I would say, if we take uh, ordinary people who do not have like major uh, diseases or symptoms or complaints, so relatively healthy people. Really healthy people, extremely rare these days. (laughs) 
And that's what Dr. Buteyka found a long time ago, what he discovered as well, like going back to the very first question that you asked, why people were healthy 100 years ago. Like I spoke about why we are sicker. What, because we sleep on the bed, we mouth breathe, we have environment, like food, our food may be not so healthy, we have a lot of processed food and so on. Let's say we have too little amount of physical exercise. But right. if we ask question why people in the past were much healthy, of course, like all these factors were different, but we can also say that uh, we naturally had much larger amount of physical exercise. Right. So to have in a day as much as, like, let's say, six, eight, or ten hours of uh, some labor, which is uh, equivalent to walking, or maybe even high metabolism was required, was extremely common. Like, right. uh, because people would do all type of jobs, moving all, all the time around, no cell phones, no computers, no cars. So, and that, of course, made lifestyle very different. And according to Dr. Buteki, what he discovered that actually people are able to keep good health, be it 60 or we can say about medical norm 40, only if they have sufficient amount of physical exercise. And I found this is like the long, the key long-term factor of maintaining good health, according to Dr. Buteki, is physical exercise. And this is what makes like this system kind of totally different from any medical uh, uh, views on health, so the doctor would take actually suggested that physical exercise is long-term key for health. Yeah, and there's a lot of information backing that up. E- even just just walking, and one of the theories about the benefits of walking is just increasing circulation, which is increasing oxygenation in the brain and uh, helping with cognition as well. There was a a study that uh, was done by Kirk Erickson at the University of Pittsburgh. This is maybe eight or nine years ago. It was actually soon after we started Zero Shoes that showed elderly people who uh, walk more retain more gray matter in their brain than those who didn't. I said to him, I, I called him and I said, can you imagine um, what it would have been like if they, actually I asked him why he thought that was the case. He goes, well, when they're walking more, one thing that's going on is they're getting more stimulation in their body from moving. So a lot of internal experience and also just what they're seeing and feeling and what they have to do to deal with the environment. And I said, can you imagine how much better that would have been if they were walking barefoot and they were actually using their body correctly. And he says, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Now, the problem is this was a nine-year longitudinal study. It cost a lot of money. And so it wasn't something they could reproduce right away. But yeah, there's n- no question that physical activity is a big thing. Now, I have a joke about that. Um, my joke is that I want to do a video where it's uh, some guy in a, in a suit and tie walking through a typical office. And, and, he, and he says, um, do you like sitting under fluorescent lights, staring at computers all day and not moving from your seat for 12 hours at a time? If so, you're a perfect candidate for a job in the outdoor industry. <laughs> and so those of us who, who started out as highly active people and then start businesses about being highly active, we tend not to be so as active as we used to. Um, but anyway, be that as it may, I want to ask you two questions. The second one, so don't answer this one yet, is going to be, you know, what are you doing with people to get them into norm, normal breathing, healthy breathing? But the first one, given what we talked about of just this simple exercise of exhaling naturally and holding your breath, if you will, while you're doing that, I know this is, uh, not, I'm not going to be the first person who brings this up, but this is a big part of what Wim Hof is doing with his breathing, where he is actually hyperventilating, having people breathe in and out very quickly, and then after some period of time, exhaling and holding their breath for as long as they can and working on extended times that they can do that. So what are your thoughts about that as in relation to what you're doing. And then, of course, I want to hear what you're doing because everyone else is going to want to hear how to, how to be breathing more normally and healthily. Well, in relation to Wim Hof method, uh, we made a review of Wim Hof method. 
And the purpose of Wim Hof method is not actually briefing retraining. He never mentioned that a person right. should brief this or this way. So right. he uses hyperventilation as a way, as he believes, and it's very possible that this is true, as, as a way to release, in addition to all other positive effects of breath holding that he does, to release certain hormones, which is uh, epiphyrin, norepiphyrin, and hormonal growth. So it seems to be there is like research, but probably, of course, much more could be done in the future. So therefore, what happens with Wim Hof, like if we think about like uh, him asking uh, to do usually 40-50 deep breaths and then hyper and hold breath, and better if you go under cold water for that right. as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so very, very cold water and hold breath uh, maybe two, three minutes. So that's kind of, uh, he, he considers kind of a standard for at least like for younger, for healthy people to achieve. I believe this is extremely healthy long term mm -hmm. because after hyperventilation, well, you lose CO2, but you hold breath, so you get all your CO2 back. And right. because of the release of hormones and some additional effects, uh, in my view, you actually are going to reduce your breath as a total result, as an overall like or net result of this uh, Wim Hof method. Mm -hmm. They can use different techniques, like there is Stanislav Grof technique, and I know some other methods as well, they, well when we use temporary hyperventilation. Yeah, you know, well, the Stanislav Grof technique and and those other and like rebirthing and other things that came out of the 60s and 70s in, in breath holding, that was a very different thing where it was just ongoing hyperventilation where, I, and I did this 30 years ago, uh, actually 20-something years ago. Oh, wait, how long? Yeah, 30 years ago. Um, the um, the difference there is you are just hyperventilating, hyperventilating, and it's not uncommon that at a certain point, whether you've just breathed breathed in or out, you'll see people just stop breathing for minutes at a time, just totally relaxed, and then just start again very naturally as well. So it's a different different emphasis, but similar idea. I mean, people have been playing with obviously and in yoga with pranayama, people have been playing with breath for a long time. So in fact, let me ask that question before I ask you, you know, what, how you work with people. Um, how, how do you look at those different breath related practices in the context of um, the, the Buteco work? Well, our purpose is to, again, to retrain our automatic or unconscious breathing. So this is ah. what we stay table about. And what Dr. Boteka found, and I know this is true from my experience with students, that actually the worst result for this test completely coincides with the exact time when people have highest chances of acute attacks or exacerbations, asthma attacks, seizures, heart attack, epilepsy attack. So you, you, you name it, basically. Interesting. I, I found 11 or 12 medical studies, uh, epidemiological studies, which found the time of the day when people have, again, highest mortality mm -hmm. and highest chances mm -hmm. of attacks. And all studies came to the same conclusion, regardless of the name of disease and like totally different teams of doctors and so on. We all found that the worst time for the person is, again, we're going mm -hmm. back to sleep, four to seven o'clock in the morning, highest mortality, and so-called early morning hours. And during this time, if you do this test, when you wake up, the first thing, you open your eyes in the morning, you're still in horizontal position, yeah. you exhale, you pinch the nose. Well, since you're in horizontal position, you require less oxygen, you produce less CO2, you have less metabolism, your breath holding time is supposed to be longer because you're, in addition, have hours of rest. Right. <laughs> but in reality, people actually die most likely during early morning hours. And so what doctors and nurses, we know, we know it. So what you're suggesting really is that we should all sleep until noon. 
<laughs> well, what, what Dr. Boteka found, and uh, I found it uh, on, uh, on advanced students, on our advanced students that I trained, trained as practitioners, many of them, that once we get to uh, CP's 60 seconds, and this is Boteka norm, Dr. Boteka norm, which is a bit harder, you see. Medical norm is 40 seconds, right. Dr. Boteka norm is 60 seconds. At this level, people normally start to sleep about four hours, naturally. Huh, fascinating. <laughs> So, so. Well, you know, I'm also, I'm also curious how this may relate to heart rate variability because so for people who don't know, when you breathe in, your heart rate is supposed to ex- uh, go up a little bit. When you breathe out, it's supposed to go down a little bit. And there's a, there, a friend of mine actually was one of the first people to be able to study heart rate variability in real time. And one of the people that was, he was, he developed a, uh, he, he was the CEO of a company that developed a neoprene vest that just measured everything in real time, heart rate, respiration, et cetera. And in fact, one of the people, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was one of the people who was in his company that they just put the vest on and tested and he had no heart rate variability. And they said, uh, get to the hospital right now. And he got to the hospital and they put him in on an, EK, an EKG and then he was in surgery for triple bypass like 20 minutes later. Um, and so this is also a thing for endurance athletes. Uh, there's some people who use heart rate variability to determine whether or not you're, you've recovered from an endurance event because at, when you're stressed out, your heart rate variability decreases. The difference between your inhaling heart rate and exhaling heart rate decreases. Um, and so they wait till you're back to normal, if you will. Um, and, and this, of course, relates to breathing. Have you looked into this relationship between HRV and breathing? Well, yeah, what happens, uh, like HRV probably also correlates with the state of the balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And now what happens here is that sympathetic nervous system is responsible for activation of muscles, and therefore it's also re- responsible for inhalation. Right. So when we take breath in, this is sympathetic. Parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for relaxation. And when, when we are healthy, we exhale without any efforts. We do it right. naturally. So we inhale. What, what happens if we look at the motion of the diaphragm? Because diaphragm, uh, according to medical resources, should take about 80-90% of work of breathing. So work of breathing not is done by chest, by the right. diaphragm. Right. 80-90%. And it's dome-shaped muscles. So what happens when we inhale, we constrict the muscle so it becomes more flat and and uh, in order to exhale we just let it go so it right. goes back like, like a spring so we pull out the spring like cylinder in a car you know to get oxygen in the whole lungs and then we release it it comes back in, into its original position now when we look at respiratory frequency we already have like kind of a short look at this table so we see what happens here when people have relatively heavy breathing at these zones we don't have automatic pause Okay. So what's Autom- that? AP automatic pause. Okay. Automatic pause means this is you inhale, you exhale. Then if you are healthy for two seconds, you don't breathe. Nothing happens. Oh, you just for two seconds, total rest. If you get healthier, like Boteka norm is four seconds. Mm-hmm. If you become like yoga master, you breathe three breaths a minute. This is like Dr. Wow. Boteka himself was an example. You have like 16 seconds doing nothing. Wow. This is, of course, a, like really heavy dominance of the parasympathetic nervous system responsible for relaxation. So I would expect we did not do measurements like how it relates to HRV numbers right. to be stable. But for me, like it would make sense that, of course, the heavier we breathe and we talked about like when people die, you know, pulse is 100, respiratory frequency 30. And so that, that means we would have, of course, very poor results for HRV 
uh, measurements as well. Okay, so let's jump into the part that by now people must be twitching about, which is talk about the training of becoming, of going back to normal breathing, of doing what Dr. Boteco was teaching and what you're doing with people. Yeah, this is like what I started with. That uh, this is like the method which allows us to solve the today any chronic disease. But I also found that this is, in my experience, among all health therapies and techniques that I know, this is the heaviest one to change, mm-hmm. to change your own automatic unconscious breathing. This is the uh, the most challenging therapy because people need to address virtually anything and whatever is wrong in their particular like lifestyle is going to prevent them from progress. It can relate mm-hmm. to sleep, diet, physical exercise, and many, many other factors. Because anything what is abnormal, I mean, this is what Dr. Buteka discovered, makes breathing heavy. Right. If you overeat, you notice you go upstairs, and, you know, your breath is heavy. Right. If you sleep too much, would be similar. If you don't do physical exercise, this is what Dr. Buteka discovered, and we already discussed it a little bit. Like I mentioned that to get, for example, Buteka norm, People need somewhere around, like, let's say, for young people, it would be probably about three hours of intensive exercise. And that's really tough. Three hours of intense exercise Ooh. per week? Day. Per, per day. day. <laughs> per month, per year. And it, right, right now, of course, intensive exercise is uh, trying to get toilet paper at Costco. Um, but that's a whole other story. So three hours per day of intensive exercise. For young people, yeah. Now, granted, is, I'm, I'm, I'm yes. sitting... Well, I'm sitting here thinking about that. So back when I was a young people, um, that was, I mean, I was an all-American gymnast and I was a sprinter. So that was pretty normal for me, three hours plus. Um, but, now, of course, you know, the amount, and A, but boy, uh, to try and do that now at almost 58, um, I would be able to do that for a day and then, you know, not again because I wouldn't be able to move for about a week. So oh, yeah, that's, that's another. I can maybe quickly review those things that you mentioned. First of all, what Dr. Buteke discovered, in order for physical exercise to be safe and yeah. effective, it should be done 100% through the nose, in and out. Like, oh, let's say... Well, let me, let's pause there. That's really interesting for two reasons. <laughs> so one, one reason that I find it interesting is that some people have been claiming that if you're doing intensive exercise and still breathing through your nose, it's increasing the production of nitric oxide, which has a bunch of benefits of relaxing blood vessels, et cetera. Now, and there's a guy who actually teaches that you should sprint and breathe through your nose. And I said, look, as a competitive sprinter, it's all I can do to get air in my body at all when I'm done with a race. So the idea that I could breathe through my nose, big as it may be, um, and get and you know be able to to get any oxygen back, it's just not possible. Um, now, most people when they run as fast as they can, um, they they may call it sprinting because they're running as fast as they can, but it's a very different process. For a real sprinter, it's an anaerobic process. You know, while you're running the 50 or 100 or 200 meters, um, it's it's like no big deal in terms of breathing. But then five seconds after you're done. You can you're on the ground barely barely able to get in enough oxygen. So talk about just exercise intensity and the ability to continue breathing through your nose because again, sort of like hyperventilating, you get to a certain point and you just can't do it. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Where are you? Oh, you're cut. Wait, hold on. Wait, oh, wait. You I can explain it. Wait, wait. You cut. You cut out again. So you said that is true, and uh-huh. then I didn't hear what you said after that. Uh, Dependent on. Where are you? What is your health level? Okay. And I can, can explain how it works. Okay. Let's say your health level is free, and this is typical modern person with 20 seconds for this body oxygen test that we already described. Okay. Now, these people breathe, as we discussed, about twice more than normal, which is 12 liters a minute. 
Okay. Yeah, 12 liters. I mean. Now, if, if this person starts to relatively intensive exercise, quite heavy exercise, metabolism is 10 times higher. Okay. That means we need 10 times more energy, 10 times more CO2 is produced. The breathing will be actually very accurately about 10 times more than at rest. So instead of 12, we we'll make it 120 liters. Hmm. Now, okay. what is 120 liters per minute? Well, if I ask an average person to breathe as heavy as possible, as much as possible, just for a short period of time, <laughs> like you, you would do it, of course, for the mouth because nose gives more resistance. So yeah. then you, would, you are going to get 150 liters. Okay. So 120, 150, you can imagine like the difference is very small. Yeah. And that means you basically will not be able to maintain this breath with nose breathing. Got it. So... And CO2 actually controls breath during physical exercise. This is a fact from medical textbooks, respiratory textbooks. Right. Any respiratory physiology would tell that this is very true. A lot of measurements were done. But what happens here is that if you breathe through the nose during exercise, your CO2 will be a little bit higher. And if you breathe through the mouth, it would be a little bit lower, plus nitric oxide, plus about 20 other negative effects of mouth breathing, humidification of air, warming up of air. Many, many other effects were discovered, like on, on sinuses. So, therefore, like 12 make 120. Now, if we think about a person who, according to Dr. Bottega, has a medical norm, 60 se seconds for the body oxygen test, these people breathe 4 liters, I mean, so a bit mm -hmm. less than the medical norm. If we ask to do the same exercise, 10 times high metabolism, it makes it 40 liters, I mean. Interesting. So, 40 liters, I can show that's sure. 40 liters a minute. So it's it's not too heavy, not Got like it. yes, different, so, slightly slightly different thing. So I mean, because if I'm if I'm running at a slow pace, which I almost never do, um, then I can breathe through my nose for most of that uh, time. But again, um, you know, I run a hundred meters, I can breathe through my nose while I'm running it. But and then literally, I finish the race, I can practically set my watch. Five seconds later, I'm on the ground, uh, or you know, I'm just walking with my hands over my head, trying to like, just trying to suck in enough air to deal with the oxygen mm -hmm. that I've created by, by doing that. Um, Why? Because at the start of the race, you already had lower oxygen level. Well, much, much lower. In fact, it's funny you say that because you know, the, the, the two things before a race, one is I find myself yawning a lot because I actually get very relaxed right before I race. My heart rate's up, but I'm a little more relaxed. The most relaxed I ever get is when I'm, when I've, inhaled and I'm holding my breath and that's between when they say um, uh, between set and the gun going off in that moment when they say set hips come up I'm in the blocks and I'm just holding my breath just waiting it's the quietest my mind ever gets and um, it's the most it's my favorite experience in the world is that moment right before the gun goes off and uh, it's a very different thing going on metabolically than I think anyone's ever looked at yeah so, but yeah, going back to exercise, yeah, that's according to Dr. Butek, and okay. I found the same. That uh, I can give you another kind of uh, fact, or, like from sure. my experience with students, that if people have very little exercise, and I met a lot of people in Canada, in uh, in the United States, uh, who were my students, who would have, let's say, like 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 minutes per day of total physical exercise, such as walking, you know, yeah. shopping, going to like car, garage, like uh, whatever, bus stop, if we don't have a car and whatever. But what happens here is if we have that amount of physical exercise, the best result that we can achieve in terms of the health level would be somewhere about health level three, three. 20 seconds. Wow. 
Wow. 20 seconds. And that, uh, that's kind of, uh, it, uh, at this stage, like if we have exactly 20 or higher, we probably would not develop, uh, we may develop like a little bit blood pressure or some other health problems, digestive and others, for example. But below 20 seconds, we know that this is where actually a lot of uh, negative things starts to take place. People can develop cancer easily. So mm-hmm. diabetes would be progressing, and like uh, basically whatever genetic predisposition they have to certain conditions, like due to like parents' exactly. genes, it, it can start to pop up. And uh, I, I was li- uh, very recently was looking like there are now literally thousands and thousands of studies where we say actually hypoxia induced genes for many many diseases you can find it just in titles of very modern research like last 20 30 years interesting a, a lot of research so other than other than the obvious prescription of getting more intense physical exercise while you're still able to breathe through your nose what else do you have people do to move up the 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 scale if you will well, if we look at in total, probably I can name more than hundreds of such factors, and that can include also such things as, for example, like having cavities or caries in teeth, dead tonsils, feet mycosis. Uh, any nutritional deficiency would make person to hyperventilate. Could it be magnesium? Well, people can be low in magnesium, in zinc, iodine can be low in some vitamins, vitamin D, for example, some other vitamin, and. Uh, uh, in relation to sleep, we, just, uh, we already discussed a couple of factors, and sleep really important because, again, like uh, when our students do the test, and this is how I also explain when I teach a course, that we actually see how students, when students progress, I ask them to measure morning results for the body oxygen test. And so this act actually should re- relate to the morning result because when somebody has right now 20 seconds, it's very likely that the same person would likely would have probably around 12, 15 seconds in the morning. Oh, wow. It's the same thing. And that's why we have highest chances of stroke, heart attacks, seizures, like all type of health problems get worse during early morning hours because the results, the breathing is heaviest during early morning hours. And that makes it possible to develop whatever genetically we are predisposed to, plus, of course, environmental influences. So that's about sleep. Maybe people can get overheated. Maybe we need grounding during sleep. Like many people found when we experiment with themselves that earthing or grounding for sleep makes this sleep quality better. And it also helps to improve, slow down the breathing as well. Mm. That's about sleep. Diet, we already discussed, like in relation to diet could be the whole topic. I have the whole book, like how to normalize diet. And uh, what I found long time ago, like probably about 15 years ago, that when students achieve health level uh, seven, would take a norm. And we had many, especially younger students, because of the large level of physical exercise. Uh, I, I, I discovered that if I ask them, uh, do you require toilet paper? <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> and they would say at this level, because I found that it's actually very common that we don't need any toilet paper. We go to <laughs> toilet and it's totally clean. Interesting. So, I call it no soiling effect. No soiling means you don't soil yourself. But I started to kind of to, to reason and to look into the medical research and already a long time ago, it was like decades already, it's known that when people have little bit even abnormal digestive health, we, we form biofilms. So mm. a film layer of uh, pathogens living on the surface of small and large intestine, which is not supposed to present there. And this is actually exactly the same greasy, sticky type of bacteria, which makes uh, us to soil ourselves. So when we go to the toilet, 
And of course, everybody knows when they get like some food poisoning, some like uh, digestive infection, sure. they need much more toilet paper. And when they get recovered, it's less, less and less. But still, I, I, I'm certain that probably 99% or even much more of modern population will require toilet paper. And that also relates to another factor, which uh, recent uh, uh, discoveries of doctors uh, from uh, carnivore, carnivore uh, uh, promotion diet and PTT. Right paleolithic uh, ketogenic diet from paleomedicine in Hungary, like fascinating research on stopping cancer, autoimmune conditions, like really Crohn's disease, very severe conditions, even Buteyka method, like with original Buteyka method, what Dr. Buteyka suggested when people need to slow down their breath, uh, he was not able to deal with this uh, very heavy, very difficult health problems. But with diet, it happens to be possible. So diet would be another factor. Plus, of course, let's say thermoregulation during the day. If you if you are able to do Wim Hof, we know that when people are having more than 20 seconds, we are able to do actually uh, cold stimulation, as cold even to use ice packs, ice cold water, right. and extremely healthy. For, uh, having good posture during the day, using the diaphragm, teaching yourself how to breathe using the diaphragm. At the same time, I know that actually in yoga, uh, yoga teachers, even very advanced yoga teachers, yoga gurus, often spend years to train a student to use the diaphragm automatically day and night because diaphragm actually is supposed to be used day and night. Okay. What I found from our students that when we achieve 30 seconds for the body oxygen test in the morning, they automatically switch to diaphragmatic briefing day and night. Interesting. So, so good news, bad news. The, 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 let's just do the bad news. Uh, actually, no, I'll do the good news. So the good news is you've clearly mapped out, you and Dr. Pateko have mapped out uh, strategies for improving things. The bad news is it sounds like what people need to do is really look at their whole lifestyle. And, and clearly, as you know, people really are looking for a quick fix. Give me a gadget, give me a pill, give me one exercise, give me something. Um, so how would you respond to that? Or, or even better, if, if you had to, to give people one to three things to really focus on so it doesn't feel overwhelming, what would you say? Well, uh, again, like when I get a student and they have the equationary with somewhere around 70 or more equations, I immediately have kind of in my mind a profile of the student where I see that these, these and these things require attention. And, but if we take many, many students, <laughs> these things would be very, very different. Yeah. So, and that makes it, again, like I mentioned, a couple of factors which are very common for severely sick, and this is sleeping on the bed and now briefing during sleep. Got it. So that would be very, these, these are very initial factors that I always, like, if I have a lecture or I have, like, a group of students or I start work with students, I start with this factor. What I discovered is that uh, after these years of teaching, I call it the law of two, three factors, that if we consider any person a student, we can change hundreds of different lifestyle factors in this person. But what I found is that there are probably only two or three of them which if we change them, that the person is going to notice that symptoms are reduced, medications also could be reduced as well, and they feel they have more energy. Answering you another question, which like appeared somewhere in the middle, but I did not have like uh, kind of time to respond. You asked like how you can make people to exercise more. <laughs> very very kind of uh, interesting and important question. What we found here is following: when people have less than twenty seconds, they are 
so hypoxic in these cells of the body, in heart, mus- heart and muscles, that exercise is very difficult for them. And right. all they can do is walking. So we're able to walk. And in fact, if we try to run on jog, we open the mouth. We cannot go running when we have less than 20, with rare exceptions. I know like few, very, very few students would be able to do it with, let's say, 15 seconds or 18 seconds. So with less than 20, we are not able to run. And according to Dr. Buteka, and this is also what I teach to our students, just do walking, and if you are able to do, do three, four hours of walking a day, that would heal many, many health problems. This is very wow. hard as well. But this is what Dr. Buteka was saying as long as 1960s. Like, let's say, the same was like four or five hours of uh, walking per day can cure nearly any disease. This is what he like, wow. think, thought about that. Now, once people get more than 20 seconds, be able to start jogging. And when we are able, we are already somewhere, let's say, 30 seconds, we not only can start jogging, we can do also breath holds while jogging. Maybe, mm-hmm. let's say, as, as short as five seconds. You know, we hold right. breath five seconds, we get a lot of air hunger, but we continue running, and so we can do physical exercise. We also split more exercise on several sections because, let's say, if somebody does uh, running, it's extremely stressful for joints ligaments and joints and from my rank like when i was uh, like 20 30 years ago 40 years ago i, I also was running like uh, <laughs> a lot really a lot like uh, often up to two and a half three hours a day running skiing but if you divide it on shorter sessions throughout the right. day this is what we do now like let's say 40 minutes 50 minutes then it's much easier you can run three times a day and your body would adapt much easier rather than going, let's say, for two hours running, which is right. very exhausted as well. So with 30 seconds, people are able to start breath hold. But what Dr. Moteka found, and this is the hardest threshold, hardest challenge in breathing training, is to break through 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. When people break through 40 seconds, this is when sleep duration drops dramatically to four or five hours. And that means you don't lose much during sleep. Hyperventilation during sleep would not be a problem any longer. But the most, uh, probably like one of the most amazing uh, changes that takes place at these health levels, uh, people are able actually to enjoy physical exercise. And a lot of them know that the same, the same person starts to crave physical exercise. And I see it all the time in students, like when they get 60 seconds, they just have so much energy. It's like so natural for them. If they don't do running or jogging, they just feel really kind of, um, maybe the day is worthless or they just don't feel normal. So and that's like a kind of a, a really fascinating part of the Buteyka method that with better and better health levels, people start to go running. And Dr. Buteyka, uh, he was uh, already in 60s knew about positive effects of barefoot running. Sure. As well, barefoot walking and running, although his explanation was very different because at this time nobody knew about earthing, that one thing. Yeah. Grounding were not known, 1960s, of course, a long time ago. So he talked about reflex, reflexatory effects of walking on nerve stimulation on our feet, and that makes some additional positive effects on our health. So well, I would, I, I would argue, to be candid, I would argue that that's a better explanation than, quote, grounding and earthing, which the physics of which are not good. <laughs> let's say. But the simple thing, I mean, I, I say something really, really simple. So your feet are supposed to bend and move and flex and feel. We have more nerve endings in your soles than anywhere at your fingertips and your lips. And that's not just human beings. We Right now, we think of sensory input as just 
the ability to perceive something rather than the effects that perceiving has. So basically perceiving something is something that's happening as a combination of what your senses are doing and your brain responding to that. And since there's, your feet are so important for balance and agility and effective motion, your brain is really wired to get all that information. And if you're not getting that information, then your brain essentially shuts down, not just that section looking for that information, but many things related to it. So I would argue that the, that the, the let's call it the reflexology uh, explanation, if you will, is probably more likely than the bad physics version of, uh, of what people are, some people have been talking about lately. Mm-hmm. There's actually no, one, and there's, and there's one other part. There, there's two actually other parts. So one is that I like to point out to people, I say, you know, sugar doesn't taste good. And they go, what? I go, well, we evolved to like the taste of sugar because it provided the calories that we needed when calories were hard to find. And then we started doing things to make to put more calories into food. I don't even mean processed food. I mean, bananas as an example, like a banana before it was hybridized tasted bad and wasn't sweet at all. And we developed that. Um, In the same vein, being barefoot uh, in general feels good because you're using your feet naturally to do what they're supposed to do. And to barefoot running, most of the times if you're going to go running barefoot, you're going to do it somewhere that's pleasant to be in. And we know Mm -hmm. from other literally just being in nature for reasons that no one's been able to give a great explanation for uh, has incredible health benefits in part because most likely because we evolved that way. And so there's things that happened that, you know, we can't actually necessarily identify. So I always go for the simpler explanations. And the simplest one is being barefoot as much as you can. Hold on. Here we go. That's where I am now. Um, the uh, As much as you can is just a more natural thing and more natural is most often uh, going to be <laughs> more better. <laughs> so mm-hmm. anyway, um, uh, we're running out of time. So I want to kind of wrap it up with this, the, the simple thing. You brought up a lot of really interesting points. Um, and if somebody wants to explore more with the Bateco method and find out how they can change their breathing to what we're calling normal breathing and see what the effects are, what do you recommend they do first? Well, normalbriefing.org, uh, the website has uh, more than 500 web pages. Okay, so five hundred. So five hundred is too many. So the, what's the no, first thing? No, but <laughs> well, uh, kind of the explanations related to what carbon dioxide does for right. expanding our airways, for its most powerful dilator of uh, arteries and arterioles, our blood vessels, which create major resistance to our heart function. Right. Before. So and plus, uh, calming uh, agent, extremely uh, sedative. And palmative agent oh, yeah, for the nerve cells, nerve cells, yeah, for yeah, the brain yeah, yeah. cells as well. Extremely important factor as well. So it provides more oxygen. Uh, of course, uh, kind of we already talked about oxygen uh, before. And uh, uh, we have uh, again on this side uh, many pages related to carbon dioxide, uh, many pages related to different diseases. Because what Dr. Boteka found that although diseases may look similar. And this is what I actually do. I teach only one disease. And this is what Dr. Buteka believes. We, we do not have, uh, like, let's say, 200 or more diseases of lifestyle or diseases of civilization. According to Dr. Buteka, we have only one disease, and we need to solve one disease, which is called overbriefing or hyperventilation. And when people breathe three times the norm, we actually never notice it. We don't pay attention. Right. We can breathe again two, three times, two, three times the norm, and so we don't know it. And uh, yes, for like what happens here is that 
to slow down breath, I have probably around 30 lifestyle models on the website where people can learn using DIY approach. But uh, sometimes it works. I, I, I know a lot of people, and sometimes even students would achieve phenomenal results, like you get up, up to 60 seconds, four hours of sleep, a lot of energy, like uh, many, many other positive effects. But uh, occasionally people can get stumbled. And commonly, I, I would say when people are having more symptoms, take more medication, have more health problems, it's more difficult for them to progress on their own. And this is Dr. Butek also found long time ago, like people who are hospitalized or having again multiple medication and so on. Would, and would so in those in those situations for people who are going to do more than the DIY approach, what are the options? Well, we may try, it's it's kind of a, I may like suggest that you may try to find Butek practitioners. Mm. At the same time, I can add that um, the way Butek's method generally taught on the West is very different from the original technique and from what a lot of medical doctors still teach right now in Russia. So what is different is, let's say I can mention uh, clinical trials. Let's say when we take, uh, there are many clinical trials right now, randomized, controlled uh, clinical trials done on the West. And we found, for example, that asthmatics were able to reduce medication by more than 90%. So all wow. these trials, it, it, these are Western published results, of course. But what, if we look at the results, what we found that, let's say, average asthmatic have about 15 seconds for this test. 15 seconds of oxygen, quite low, less than 20, as I already discussed, discussed mild asthma. And what we did in this trial, we got up to 25. After three, four, five, six months of practicing breathing exercises at the level of about one hour per day. So this is what we did, and increasing a little bit physical exercise with nose breathing. Now, what I'm talking about here is, uh, of course, you can imagine from 15 to 25, it would be right here. And I'm talking about going here, and we have now people who get even up to here as well. With uh, here, uh, a lot of other things take place. It seems to be that people develop extrasensory perception. We are able to activate the pineal gland virtually in all cases if they get up to level health level 10. Sleep gets down to three hours. Digestion gets insanely strong because Dr. Boteke himself wrote that at this level, people are able to digest nails. So this is what he wrote. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, hold on, hold on, hold on. The more important question is, how did he determine that? Who was the first person who said, you know, that nail looks like something. I, uh, that's good. I'm going to have a salad with some tax on it right now. So. <laughs> but uh, uh, what I believe myself, that uh, actually, uh, and it seems to be that it's true with each level, there are literally hundreds of chemical reactions that become sure. normalized improved or even reappear as it's supposed to be in very healthy people Interesting. So with each step but to make each step again it depends on the person sometimes people young they active they do a lot of physical exercise and occasionally we can let's say it may take them uh, let's say two three months i have quite many students young students young guys you know exercising going to gym like and doing tai chi or whatever and they get up to 60 seconds in two three months but if somebody is sick that would, uh, what, what another, like maybe I can mention another interesting effect. I mentioned that in clinical trials, we take light asthmatics. We gave them from here just one step from 15 to 25. And we already reduced medication by 90%. A lot, right. a lot of things. Now, what we found that actually these people, they are busy, they have jobs, and they don't have time to do physical exercise and to do breathing exercise. Right. To get here, 
my requirement is at least for a person to have at least two hours of devoted physical exercise mm. plus two hours of briefing exercises wow. every day wow. until they get up here. Once they get up here, they can start re- reducing with briefing exercise because it's not the most natural way to maintain right. your health. <clears throat> but physical exercise then becomes the key factor that allows them to stay at this health level. Got if it. we c- continue, let's say, have normal regular diet, stop exercise, we go immediately down here in a few days. Interesting. So this stay kind of unforgiving uh, conclusion of this table, but at the same time, yeah, this is how nature designed us to, to exercise. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you say that. I nine ten years ago, I was at the first Paleo FX conference, and I was on a panel discussion about natural movement. And there were a number of people talking about the things they were doing to try and get people to, you know, move naturally. I said, look, let's just, uh, let's not mince words. What we evolved to do is not what we're doing now and no one will ever do it now. You know, no one is currently running to catch their food or running away from someone who thinks that we're food. We're not walking down to the river and picking up rocks and carrying them back for miles to build homes. You know, right now we're doing things, we're faking it. But I said, especially let's go to the thing of running to catch food or running away from being food. I said, look, as a competitive sprinter, I can tell you, if I go have a really hard workout this weekend, which I will do, I'll be a little sore the next day. But if I go race this weekend, which I won't be doing because they've canceled all the races, but if I were going to race, I'd be doing even less work because I'd just be warming up and then doing one race for (laughs) indoors for eight seconds, outdoors for a little over 12 seconds. That's it. But then I'll be sore and tired for like three or four days. So the biochemical process, when, you know, the adrenaline is pumping and when, it seems like life is on the line. Very different thing than if you're climbing a tree or doing whatever else you know you think people used to do. So I say, you know, there's certain things you just can't fake, and these are things that used to be part of our daily life. So I got to wrap it up, but I just want to first of all, I want to say thanks. Secondly, I'm really interested in what you're saying. I'm, I'll be candid. I'm, how do I want to put it? I'm the first one to try some new something because I'm always very curious about improving human performance. And as we've been having this conversation, in the times where I wasn't speaking, I was testing my very casual breath holding, and I'm in the 18 to 20 range pretty consistently, which is very annoying. I was really hoping I'd be much higher than that. So I'm looking forward to getting back on the website, which I've spent some time on, but not as much as I would like to, and finding out more, I'll probably pick up. uh, If if you were going to recommend the first book for someone to get started with, since you've written 10, which is the first one you'd recommend? Well, uh if you're already engaged and uh, willing to try the Bottega Briefing Exercises, yeah, the, my most popular book is called Advanced Bottega Briefing Exercises. Advanced Bottega Where Bottega I ex- explain the whole system, how to reduce briefing, what is the click oh, effect, what is the maximum pause, absolute maximum pause, like super long breath holds, what you can achieve with them, how you can practice, and how you can do informal breath work, how you can practice reduced breathing during physical exercise, how you can do steps, you know, you go walking and you hold right. breath and you count how many steps you make, then you kind of recover during one, two minutes and again breath holds, you repeat, repeat it many times. So we, we, this type of exercises, yeah, we all in the book. And this probably also most popular, I know, like uh, when uh, other people train new practitioners, who take practitioners, uh, they buy this book and just give it give to new practitioners so that they can start okay. learning about the Buteka method. Got it. Awesome. Well, um, once again, thank you very much. And again, a reminder, normalbreathing.org. And um, uh, if people have any other questions, can they find you through the website? 
Uh, well, yeah, I, I give uh, Skype classes, but uh, because oh. I'm very busy, it's like a bit probably more expen uh, quite expensive. So, uh, in any case, uh, thank you for the opportunity. I was kind of uh, thrilled to share the, this um, amazing technique of briefing retraining and kind of I can maybe mention kind of last thing that Buteka, Dr. Buteka made two great discoveries, and one of them is that health relates to how people brief. That this is his first discovery. So that actually people are able to defeat virtually any chronic disease, provided that they are able to retrain their breath. Why? Because severely sick, sometimes I have very few people who were just not able to retrain their breath, even with best breath and diet and other things. Now, in addition, Dr. Buteka developed the method how to go from step to step. And this is uh, from one level to another level, going easy and easier, slower breathing, more oxygen in the body. And this is we also try to develop during like last 20 years. We did a lot of innovations. And so the Buteka method, I believe, is growing, developing. And so this is what I'm doing. And if you decide to try that, again, the therapy is, again, in my view, the most difficult, the most challenging one. But if you imagine that, again, this therapy suggests that you can fix any health problem, and I know it works this yeah. way. Works the way that just it's very difficult and physical exercise and other factors. Love it. Well, once again, thank you very much. To sign off, let me just say to everybody else, thank you for being on the podcast and sharing what we're doing. If you enjoyed what you heard, obviously pass it on. If you're not sure where to find us, it's pretty simple. Everywhere the podcasts are, everywhere podcasts are, there we go. Um, you can find us at Join the Movement or just The Movement Movement Podcast. You can go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Um, that'll find all the previous episodes and all the different places you can interact with us. Remember to like and share and thumbs up and hit the heart or the bell button on YouTube and all those things that you know how to do. As I like to say, we're creating this movement around movement. You are the movement. So if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. If you have any questions, drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com. And that kind of covers it. So until next time, thank you all for being here. Live life feet first. Have fun. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashin. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.